0: Good morning, Uh, my name is Jimmy Fowler, I am the Executive Pastor here at Redeemer Fellowship. It is my joy and honor to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. We're going to be looking at Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5. Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5. So as you're turning there, yesterday I had the privilege of uh, officiating the wedding ceremony for uh, the McCoy or Flores-McCoy wedding. So if you don't know, Lee Flores has been coming to Redeemer, uh, Sarah McCoy as well, and they've been part of our church. And uh, together, they made the decision to, well, they got married. And so I got the, uh, I was able to participate in that and to officiate. And it was wonderful. And, and what I love about weddings is that reminder, that reminder for me anyways as a husband uh, to the commitment that I made before God and man, for the commitment that I made to be with my wife, to be faithful to her, to love her, to serve her, right? To submit to her, to lead her, to guide her. And so it was a beautiful, for me anyways, it was just that reminder yet again of, of what it is that God has called. But as I was watching it too, uh, I was also, I was, I was stunned by the beauty of these two families with two very different upbringings and two very different cultures coming together. And I'm watching them trying to mingle together and they're trying to invite, you know, uh, each other over. They're trying to, to get along and, and, and they're trying to make sure they're not getting in each other's way or stepping on toes because you know how weddings are. They're stressful at the best of times. And so they're trying to, to honor one another and to love one another. And I'm watching these, these two people with two very different backgrounds, cultures, upbringings, ethnicities, coming together and being united. You know, I'm reminded that in scripture, it talks a lot about the church, the universal church, the true church, as being the bride of Christ. It talks about all of us together as one, that we are united to Christ. Christ. And that he is our groom. And that we are being prepared for him. And I was reminded again that our union is really important. Our union with God. And yet that union with God leads to our union with each other. You know, John Calvin writes, The only true bond of church unity is Christ the Lord, who has reconciled us to God the Father. And what I'd like for us to see in our text this morning is that our union with Christ leads to our union with each other. And as we read Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5, remember that. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name on, and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder... and the lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Please pray with me. Father, I, I pray for our time now as we look at your word. I pray that you would open our, our eyes and our ears, that you would soften our hearts to receive your word. That Father, that, that we would come to see and know that our union with you leads to there are other aspects of that. That it leads to our union with one another. And not just those within Redeemer Fellowship, but other believers outside of our church. That as one bride of Christ, we are together to be presented to you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So our union with Christ leads to our union with each other. We're going to see this in two ways here, in two sections. First, we're going to look at the unity of the redeemed, and then secondly, the posture of the redeemed. The unity of the redeemed, and then the posture of the redeemed. And so, to give a, bit less, a little bit of context, if you haven't been with us, we've been looking at Revelation, we're here in chapter 14. And before this, in, in chapters 12 and 13, we, we read about the dragon and the two beasts, and they come out, and they're making war against mankind. Making war upon the earth, right? And they're trying to make war against God's people. They're looking to conquer them. They're looking to deceive them. They're looking to lead them astray, away from their faith. And so in 12 and 13, you see this happening. You see this war, and, and it's got to feel like, is, everything, is, there, is there any hope for us? Is there going to be any respite? How is this going to end? And then we get this glimpse At chapter 14, in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of this tribulation, we move to chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. Now, the next three words are absolutely stunning to me. I love the next three words. So on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him, 144,000. There is something beautiful about those three words, and with him. There is something profound about those three words, and with him. In the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of this destruction, in the midst of the enemy coming against God's people, oppressing them, pushing back against them, trying to deceive them and lead them astray, in the end we see, stood the Lamb, and with him. 144,000. Now we know as we've been going through this that's not some magic number that there's only 144,000 people and, and we're all trying to fight our way in to bump somebody else out so we can be counted as 144,000. No, it's, it's there symbolically as God's people, the universal church. Because earlier on we see it was this great multitude that were standing before the throne that were God's people. And so we have standing with him, The church the bride of christ you and i i love those words and with him you see there's this unity that we have together we have this union with christ and this union with each other oftentimes we've we forgotten what that union with each other means it's not about getting together and making america great or even using the lesser cheaper version building back better it's not about our political affiliations. It's not about our denominational affiliations. You know, we hear this phrase there, I want to work with like-minded Christians. Well, what does that really mean then? I've used that. That I want to work with like-minded Christians. What we're saying there is we want to work with people within our tribe. We want to work with people that we're comfortable with. We want to work with people that, that don't push back against our faith in different ways. And that look at scripture, maybe see a different different slant or have a different understanding. What we're saying there is, we don't want to work with all Christians. We only want to work with the ones we're comfortable with. What does that say? What does that say about our posture as the bride of Christ? What does that say about our union before God and our union with each other? That we want to cast off sections of the bride of Christ. Now... When people use it as, I want to work with like-minded believers that are orthodox in faith, I understand that. I agree with you. Because anything other than that, that's not really faith then, is it? I want to work with people that, that believe that this is the inerrant, inspired word of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he is part of... He is triune. That he is God himself. That he came, put on flesh... That he dwelt among us. That he lived a perfect life of obedience. That he suffered and died on the cross for our sin. And he received the justified wrath of God on our behalf. That he died and was risen. And ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. Right now, interceding on our behalf. Yes, when we talk about like-minded, being orthodox, I'm with you but we're saying like-minded because I don't want to be uncomfortable. There's something not healthy there. Because as the body of Christ, as the body of Christ, we are called to be together as one because stood the, there on Mount Zion, stood the Lamb and with him. The 144,000. So then what is Unity. You know, I looked it up in the, the dictionary. You're trying to figure it out in Webster's and they all kind of give the same thing. It's, it's like it's one and there's no division. There's no multiplier or anything like that. And so there's this sense of this, this oneness. And when we're talking about unity as believers, we're talking about being one body. Here at Redeemer, we are one body. We have two services, but we are one church body. And as one church body, we have one purpose, and that is to glorify God. In all that we do, we seek to glorify him and to make him known. We want to see God glorified in the Fox Valley and beyond. And by that, we have this one mission, and that's to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim his word, to proclaim it to all so that the Holy Spirit may work in them, may call them, may bring them to new life. See, we, have one bo- we are one body with one purpose on one mission but as the universal church, we are the same. One body, one bride of Christ, with one purpose to glorify our God and to make him known, with one mission, to make disciples. And so that is, that is what we're called to, this unity. And with that, then that means there's a commitment. When we talk about being one, when we talk about being united, what well, we're talking about, that we are committed to each other. That means separation is not an option. And we hear about that a lot when we talk about marriage. That's why the marriage metaphor is so key in Scripture. It's because what God has joined together, let no man separate. That as we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are saying that we are committed to one another. Despite being uncomfortable with each other. Despite sometimes maybe getting on each other's nerves. Despite not understanding each other. Despite having vastly different experiences growing up. Whether our knowledge in life or whatever, wherever we come from, in our background, it doesn't matter. Separation is not an option for us. We are committed to each other. And so it's not just that we don't separate, but it's that we actually go forward looking to encourage one another. To support one another. To love one another. To look out for one another. So then, what is not unity? When we talk about what is unity, well, let's, let's also talk about what it's not. It's not faking it. It's not just showing up and going through the motions. It's not just being present in a building. Anyone can just show up for a church service. That's a participant. That's not someone that's committed and part of the body of Christ. When we talk about unity, we're talking about there's an activeness to it. And so it's not faking it, it's not going through the motions, but it's also not excusing sin. So that's what it means when we're committed to each other, is that when we see sin within the body, within each other, we don't excuse that sin, but we call it out and deal with it. We don't allow it to run rampant. Whether within our church, within each other, within the denomination, we call it out for what it is, because it's not glorifying to God, because we have a purpose as the body of Christ, to glorify God. So not only do we not excuse sin, we don't cover up sin. We don't allow sin to be covered up within our church or within our denomination or within our affiliation, within the body of Christ, because this is dishonoring to our God. So we're talking about the unity of the church. So what's it founded on? Well, it's founded on the victory of Christ. Read again in verse 1. There's so much beauty here. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb stood the lamb you know when we talk about Mount Zion Kistemacher writes that this is the place of God's dwelling as a symbol of safety and stability for his people so we have them there on Mount Zion and he's standing victorious How, what, what victory are we talking about well his victory over sin and death his victory over the curse of the fall his victory in, in coming and redeeming God's people Jesus stands victorious, not laying in a grave, not huddled in the corner, not afraid, not wondering what might happen next, but standing toe-to-toe, standing tall, victorious in what he has done, in what he has accomplished, and with him, 144,000. As Jesus stands in victory, as Jesus has redeemed us, as Jesus has brought us near, as Jesus has once who are far off enemies of God have been brought near are now friends of God, family of God, close to God. He brings us near. We stand with him. We stand in that victory of what of what he accomplished on the cross. That's part, that's our unity. That's one of the, uh, the foundation of our unity. We all have very different upbringings. We've all had different experiences. We have different gifts. And yet God has brought us together. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That God has brought sinners, who, he brought sinners from far off places and brought them near to him and he brought us near to each other as one body of Christ. Church is important. We don't just gather together just for the fun of it. We come because it, it glorifies God and it brings God's people together to rejoice. To rejoice at what he has done in and through us. The Lord's, get, the Lord's day, as that we gather together, is not optional because it's just some fun meeting. It's because we stand and we sing the victory of our God. We stand and we sing and we praise his name for what he has done. We had an example of what that right there. The baptism. As Erica was being baptized, it wasn't just going through the motions. Church, that was a picture of being brought up, Going down into death and being brought back into new life. That was a presentation of the gospel that we should rejoice in. Brothers and sisters, we gather together because we all have this united hope and we've all all been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Praise God as we gather this morning and we sing praises to him. And so we have this victory, this victory of Jesus, and we've all been marked. We have this mark of his name God's name and his name On our forehead Now that's contrast. Look at the end of verse uh, Chapter 13 So in chapter 13 We've got the mark of the beast And so this is for those That are, that are in uh, that, that are part of the world They're not God's people So we have this, this distinction Those that receive the mark of the beast They're worldly They haven't been called by God And so they have this mark And that's contrasted now With God's elect, with God's people Who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead You know, as we're reading through that We're talking about this union that we have with Christ There's a theological term that we throw out there We talk about this union with Christ But church, I want you to know How crucial and wonderful and beautiful The notion of our union with Christ is I mean, this is real it's without that union we are not justified. It's without that union that we have not, we're not able to be sanctified. It's without that union that we are not adopted as sons and daughters of the most high God. This union is really, it's real and it's intimate. It's evasive. It's, it's, it builds deep to who we are. We are grafted into God, into Jesus. I mean, John Calvin writes, For this is the design of the gospel that Christ may become ours and that we may be grafted into his body. How beautiful that is that it's personal. It's not just this collective, but it's you. You personally, you individually have been brought in. Think of that. You personally, individually, have been brought in. How beautiful is that? And so we see there's, these, there's some benefits of our union with God. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. First, we see this justification. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who, beca- who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness. So we are now declared righteous. We've been declared justified by God. Those who are sinners, those who are enemies, those who are far off, those that were uh, deserving of God's wrath and God's judgment have been justified and declared righteous. Not because of our works, but because of Jesus's work on the cross. Not because of what anything we've done in our obedience, but Jesus' obedience to the point of death on the cross. And so because of our union with Christ we have this justification and we have it by faith. It's nothing we've done. It's nothing we've earned. It's nothing we've deserved. But it's everything that Jesus has given us. God has given us as the bride of Christ. But then also we're sanctified. Still in verse 30 here. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification. You know, we talk about this sanctification, it's not that it's not that we have to present, or are we not that we have to become, uh, that we are perfect. We're, though we're called to be holy as our Heavenly Father is, is holy. We're called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And yet, we will spend the rest of our lives being sanctified, being changed from one degree of glory to the next, working on this. As we're dealing with our sins and working out our sins, we're getting rid of our sins and saying, no, I don't need this. I don't want this. I desire you, God, and you alone. My affection is for you and for nothing else. I don't need that sin in my life, that satisfaction that I seem to find in this. I, I need to find, I'm going to find my satisfaction in you and you alone. And so we're changed from one degree of glory to the next, and we'll spend a lifetime dealing with these sins. But praise God by his spirit, he helps us through that as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Or in John seventeen twenty three we see this other uh, benefit of our union, but that uh, uh, that of adoption. And we were reading that earlier that we could cry out as Abba Father, that we are we are His, we are treated as His sons, and we're also receiving the same love as He loves the son. He loves us. I mean that's just. Beautiful People that don't deserve a, a, a creation that was rebellious against our God. A creation that was hostile towards our God. A creation that had no love for our God and sought other pleasures. He now comes and says, you are mine, you are my child. And you receive the benefits of what it means to be my heir. And we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also when you he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You know that, that notion of being sealed, it's got throughout scripture, there's sort of three ways of of looking at it. Uh, in Ezekiel, you'll see there's this, this sense of ownership. Right? It's kind of setting apart uh, as, as someone's own possession. Right? So they sealed it to let everybody know. It's kind of like when you have a guy, a cow, and you tag the cow. Everyone knows that cow's yours. I don't have a farm. I have friends that have cows. I think they do that. I don't know. I don't want to be near them things. The goats are scary. But there's that sense of ownership, of possession. Right? So as we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, it's declaring God's ownership of us, that he has set us apart as his own possession As Israel was, we are his possession as the bride of Christ. There's also protection, right? In Revelation 7, talked about the sealing of the Holy Spirit to protect God's people. And protect them from what? What does that mean? Remember back, so all this stuff, everything's coming together now. As you've been with us, as we've been studying Revelation, you're going to see there's connections going back to what we've studied before. Because it's just expanding upon that. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, as they're going through uh, the seven letters to the churches, there's this constant theme of to the one who overcame, to the one who would overcome, to overcome, to overcome, right? And that's the notion here then, that protection in Revelation 7, when we're talking about being sealed by the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit himself will protect us as we're being bombarded, as the world is pushing back against us, as the enemy is coming at us, that we are protected. And that we would overcome. And that we would find that victory in the end where we'd hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Third, so there's ownership, protection. It's also validation we see in John. That we are God's people. That is a sign, sign of our redemption. And his ownership. And so what about the posture of the redeemed? In verse 1, we see there's this unity of the redeemed, right? And that we're founded upon the victory of of Christ, that he stood in victory, that we are marked by him as his own. But what about then the posture of the redeemed? Verses 2 through 5. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. So we talk about the posture of the redeemed. We're going to look at this in just two ways here quickly. As we wrap up, we're going to be looking at it as believers. What is our posture as believers? And then what is our posture as brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, when, when we talk about as believers in Revelation 19 and then in 20 and 21, it calls us, it looks us as the church, as the bride of Christ. And so we have this unity, this oneness. We're committed to one another. That's why church membership is important as we make this covenant with each other to stand with each other through it all. And so as believers individually, we have this posture that calls us to praise. You see, and I heard from voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they were singing a new song. They were singing. There is there joy on their lips. There is praise on their lips. And it's this new song, this victorious song. Throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when, when uh, Israel would win or when an individual would conquer, they were victorious. It would say that they, they wrote a new song, a psalm of David or a psalm of Miriam, and they would sing this new song as this song of victory, right? This song of overcoming, this song of conquering, and so here we have this new song of our victory in Christ. And it's exclusive. It's only found in Jesus. There is no other salvation available to anyone else. It's only through Jesus. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. And so in here we have this new song, this victorious song. This song of hope, this song of salvation that we have before him. And so we will sing this song together, rejoicing in our salvation rejoicing in our redemption rejoicing in our hope that has just been fulfilled and that we are embracing and receiving and we're also continually called to be holy it is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins now is that saying that we're all called to the celibate life no because we know that in, in peter in first peter talks about how he would bring his wife with him on his missionary journeys so And we know that marriage is good, and it's wonderful, and it was instituted by God. So what does that mean? Well, throughout Scripture, as you, you look at the bride of Christ as the people of God, they were called to be set apart and holy, and that they were called to be dependent upon him and him alone. And whenever they strayed, and they looked after idols or other gods, or they didn't follow God's law, they were called prostitutes, that they were whoring themselves out. And so as God's people, we focus on him. As the bride of Christ, we remain pure, focusing on him, faith in him, only looking to him that he alone is our our salvation, that he alone is our redeemer. Him alone, he is our savior. And as the bride of Christ, we long for our groom to swoop us up. But we're also called to be obedient, following wherever he goes. And it's not because our works is what's gonna save us or that we have to work hard enough to please God no but by our works by our obedience it does show a, a life that has been redeemed because we know that if this is that this is scripture this is God's word or that his law is good and sweet and it's good for us and so we seek after following him in his ways despite when the world says hey what you're saying hurts me or why are you picking on me or why do you think I'm not uh, I'm not able to marry or that I shouldn't marry or that I shouldn't have whatever else As the world pushes back against us, we stand firm on Scripture, proclaiming the Word of God. And that means not just to those that have sins that we think are bigger or worse than ours, but even to our believers and our friends here and now that have excusable sins like pride and haughtiness and gossip. We call that out. Obediently. Because we want what's best for them. We're unified And we live with integrity. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. We speak truth. We speak God's truth. We proclaim his word. But then as brothers and sisters, a lot of times I look at these and I think of, I really think of myself. I have a very self-centered view, right? And yet, if we're called the bride of Christ, and we're called to be unified, and as one together when uh on mount zion to the lamb and with him all of us then it does mean what is that there has to be some sort of uh impact on our relationship with each other because not just jesus and me but there's a we here that's really crucial And so when I'm going through this, you can can go online, you can find tons of examples of one another passages. There's tons, tons, tons. I tried to break it down into sections, but so we've got here the positive ones, where it says love and do this, or uh, do this with one another, but there's also negative ones. Do not do this to each other. And listen to these, because as we go through it, uh, at least I find myself, I find myself convicted. So as brothers and sisters, we see in John 13 that we're called to love one another. And that's not just saying I love you because that word has lost a lot of meaning in our culture today because everyone loves something. I love shoes, right? But do I really love shoes as much as I love Michelle? Depends on the shoe. But nonetheless, I love Michelle more. Sometimes that's lots of meaning, but we're called to have this love, this affection for one another this deep affection. It's not just saying I love you, but there's something behind that word because that love should reach into action. There's an affection there with us that we're committed to one another. In Romans 12, 10, we see that we're committed to each other. That means when I see see you struggling, I'm stepping in. When I see you hurting, I'm coming over. But if you're living in your sin, I have to come to you And I expect the same from you. That when I'm sitting, when I'm living in my sin, I need you to call me out. That's our commitment to each other. Because we're committed to loving one another, to serving one another. We're committed to speak truth to each other. That means we're also, we're called to be sacrificial in Galatians 5 to each other. That whether my time or treasure, whatever I have that may be of use to you, I am there with you. We are there as one body. In Romans 12, we're called to outdo each other by showing honor to each other. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to rejoice with one another. And Ephesians 5.21, we're called to submit to each other in love. So when we're talking about being loving and committed and sacrificial, honoring, praying, rejoicing, and submitting, it's not just with those within Redeemer Fellowship. But it also means rejoicing when God is doing something great in the church down the street. Even though they may have different practices than us, we rejoice in what God is doing over there. We, we love them. We're committed to them. We're sacrificial for them. We want to honor them. We're praying for them. We want to submit to them. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. These are, they are part of the universal church. They're part of the bride of Christ. And on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him, the 144,000. We, we need to stop having a narrow view and just saying only like-minded. But to look outside to see that God is doing something grand and wonderful and let us rejoice in what he's doing elsewhere and come alongside and pray and praise. But there's also the negative aspect of what not to do. Colossians 3.9 Do not lie to one another. When you're called out, when you're asked, do not lie. Be honest with where you're at. Be honest with your struggles. I'm not saying we have to have, you know, come together, have a kumbaya moment where everyone shares all their secrets. No. But as you're in community, as you're in CGs or DGs or you're in your mentor groups, you come out there and you're honest and open and, and transparent. Here's where I'm struggling. Please pray. Come alongside me. Work with me. Hold me accountable to this. Instead of thinking I need to command this alone, no, do not lie to one another. Romans 14, 13, stop passing judgment on each other. You know, we should be giving each other the benefit of the doubt, but oftentimes we assume the worst of other people. We assume the worst of their motives or their intentions. We assume that they were out to get me or out to hurt me. So I would tell you at church membership orientation, you will be hurt. You will be hurt. And sometimes it's unintentional. I'm hoping all the time it's unintentional that I say that out loud. But please don't assume the worst of each other. Assume the best of your brothers and sisters. This one's one's important in light of Christian Twitter today. Galatians 5.15. Do not bite, devour, destroy one another. We seem to really, Christians really seem to love to crack down on each other. Love to see when others are being destroyed and love to pass it along. There are some things we can learn from it, but there's also this heart of rejoicing in the destruction and downfall of others. We see that on Twitter, but what about here within, with our brothers and sisters? Do not bite, devour, destroy one another. James 4:11: "Do not slander. Do not talk ill of each other. Do not lie about another. Do not say that they said things when they didn't say it. James 5.9 Do not grumble against each other. Brothers and sisters our union with Christ leads to our union with each other. How we interact with each other is important. How we stand up for each other is important. How we come alongside and support one another is important. When we, when we invite you into CGs or DGs or to the Sunday morning gathering, it's not because we just want to fill your life with another meeting. Trust me, I don't need another meeting in my life. But it's because it's here. It is there where iron sharpens iron. Where we could come alongside and love one another, commit to one another, support one another, pray for one another, receive rebuke from one another and lovingly support each other. I ask that during this season, as we're moving forward as a church, coming out of COVID and we've been in isolation, For a number of us have been in isolation. As we come out to remember what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to support, care, support, love each other, rejoice with one another what it means to stand up to each other and what it means for others to push back against us may we grow may we grow and glorify god as we together on mission make disciples as disciples let's pray heavenly father i i thank you for your word I thank you for your word and and just the beauty of it, the simplicity of it. That we stand with you in victory, united as one, one body, one people, one bride. Father, may may you deepen this love that we would have for each other, that we would love each other more with with a godly affection, that we'd seek the good of others more that we could see them love you more. That they would be encouraged to know you more. Father, I pray for, for all the other churches in the Fox Valley. I pray for my other brothers and sisters. May, may you be glorified more in their, in their lives. They, may they know you more. May you do a great work here in the Fox Valley. And if, it's, if, if it includes Redeemer, I, I pray that it would. But Father, I want all of your people to rise up and to proclaim your name. To the ends of the earth. Pray this in your name. Amen.